BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode is brought to you by Healthy Nest. Go to healthynesting.com for the most eco-friendly, thoughtful, conscious diapers, wipes, and cleaning products you could possibly imagine. Today's episode is with Lizzie Asa, who's a master's in education from the Bank Street School of Education. And she has this beautiful online platform that helps families create and cultivate play spaces and an Instagram called Workspace for Children that is just super inspiring. I asked her to be a guest on the podcast to talk about cultivating independent play in young children from as early as babies all the way up until school age. And right now, I think we all are looking for ways to set up the environment in our homes to promote more independence. And that gives us a little bit more space in this context where we don't really have very much space. So I think it's a really interesting conversation. And there are just small ways that you can make changes in your household to set things up for a little bit more parent independence because our kids getting more autonomy and independence helps us. What I wanted to focus on today is independent play and fostering independent play because you've really carved out a great way of guiding parents to help kids from very young ages start to have new habits so you can cultivate independent play, which is so important, even if we weren't in a pandemic where we really needed to have some space within not having space, but especially right now. So let's just dive right into that. Sounds good. I love that. So how do you like to start talking about fostering the independent play of, let's start with toddlers because... Okay. I mean, I think it can even really start though from from newborn babies. babies. Yeah, you're right. Let's start at the very beginning because you really... Fostering this kind of independent play even at infancy. Okay, great. So I think really, if you can think about it, for even a newborn baby. Um, And it doesn't have to be something extra that you have to do, right? Because independent play is actually something that gives back to you as the mom. I think it's more about just like a change in mindset of like society telling you that you have to constantly stimulate your child and buy them this toy and have them in front of this video and X, Y, and Z. And while yes, talking and interacting with your newborn infant is so crucial. Yes. I really also feel like it's just as crucial to respect their inherent ability to play and learn from within. Yes. And I think that gets really um, 
clouded out. Like I think there's so much noise around what we should be doing with our kids Mm -hmm. that that piece gets pushed out. When in fact, I think as a family unit for baby and mom or baby, you know, whoever, it's the most important piece because having a child who can play independently means having a parent who has time to like brush their teeth and hear them so sick. Absolutely. And the truth is that sometimes we interrupt our infants from whatever fascinating thing they're paying attention to because we want to like teach at them. I was thinking, because I live in New York City, when you walk down the street, well-meaning, amazing parents are talking to their babies and strollers all the time. But half the time, the strollers are facing out and they can't even hear you. But there's so much pressure for parents to talk, talk, talk that it feels like, oh no, what, what's happened here is you can't even take that nice walk and just listen to the sounds and look at the views because mom or dad or caregiver has this weight, this pressure of yeah. teaching. And mm-hmm. you just see it more when you're in a city where you're just kind of, everybody's out there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's also that pressure to like speak in a certain way and say the right thing and to teach the right thing when really all that is, is pressure. And like parents know their own children best. And when we can be quiet, just be quiet for a few minutes and listen, we learn our children so much better and they learn themselves so much better. Uh, And that to me is the root of all of it. It's like when they can learn who they are, everything else is easier. And that holds true for when you have teenagers, just and adults. <laughs> right. And adults. Like, think about how much time we spend as adults, like trying to like form a meditation practice or trying to break a habit of being on ourselves, you know, all those things. We can set those habits, you know, in place, in motion for our children. And it's not an extra thing to do. It's actually taking stuff away, you know. Right. So, okay. So let's start with, there's a blanket on the floor and you put your baby down. Yeah. So, I mean, I just really think, um, and I teach this in my course, is just having time, intentional time for your baby to just be on a blanket on the floor, either in front of a mirror or a window and stepping away and not talking to them. And of course, you want to keep them safe and you want to supervise them. And of course, at first they're going to cry and that's okay too. And you can say to your baby, like, oh, you're used to me talking at you all the time. You know, that might be startling for some kids who've had you yapping and yapping at them. Um, you know, so you want to talk them through that transition and start really small, even just a few minutes. And I know there's tons of babies. I had one of my three this way who was so fussy, I could never put him down. So I think there's also ways to do that of just to hold them quietly in your lap facing out the window and just zone out yourself. Take a minute yourself to just zone and let them just see what they see without feeling the pressure to talk about it and to comment on it and to guide their thinking. So uh, that's a really good point because you want to take into account your child's temperament and then you do the baby steps from wherever you start. So whichever child yeah. you have, some kids are better at, you know, sitting uh, quietly. Course, yeah. So now after, you know, babies start crawling, let's say. And so now they're moving around. What do you do to set up a space so that they can explore independently? So I think a few things. There's one is having a safe space. And of course, they're going to keep coming to you and that's okay. And you can connect with them and then redirect them back to their own work. 
and you are doing your own. And I know that sounds sort of vague. Um, so I like to teach people in my course that when you have a child who naturally um, is still napping, you can, you can start to use the words quiet time. You can start to talk about independent play with them before and after their nap. So it just, it's really more at that age about being intentional mm-hmm. in setting up these habits than what your child's actually going to do. It's not like one of those things where like, if I do this, my child's going to magically play alone for 45 minutes. Like that's not how children work. Mm-hmm. We all know that. <laughs> um, but it's really just about setting up those like intentional patterns from the beginning. And I think it's more about the parent than the child. So it's less about what your child can and can't do and more about you as a parent, like really un- like having yourself understand why you want to introduce independent play, getting comfortable setting limits and boundaries around that and like keeping your eye on the prize and knowing that like there's nothing wrong with your child if they can't do it. There's nothing wrong with you if you can't do it. It just means like you have to figure out what works mm-hmm. and like practice. You have, it's like anything, you know, you just have to keep practicing. And when you know how valuable it is to you and you start to see those little moments, you know, those just reinforce for you how fantastic it is. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms. So just thinking about the scenarios that occur, and I like the idea of navigating and practicing because of course it's like anything else. We have to stretch and practice and be a little bit uncomfortable. And also it's about our in our parenting, feeling comfortable with not doing something which feels I think that's the biggest piece. The biggest challenge. Yeah. Is about our mentality and our thought process as a parent. It's so much more about that then about whether your child has ADHD and they can't focus or your, my child is so high need. I think it's really less about that and more about what we're comfortable our, with. Yes. Right. But I think that's the case in everything. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs> so, right. Parenting is just really a time that we get to know ourselves in a different way and can put new lenses on and maybe practice new approaches. And I love the way you say just, it's an intentional time. So let's say you have a two-year-old who keeps going to you to show you what they've done or to engage you or say, mommy, come here or whatever it is. In fact, I just, who was just asking me about this? Somebody was just asking me because they felt like, well, they have gotten their child in a a place of comfort starting to play independently, but very quickly their child goes back to them to say, now, mommy, you do it, or now you draw it, or any of those things. So mm-hmm. let's so think there's about two, two ways to approach this. One is setting yourself up for success um, before the play starts, Great. okay, as a parent and a child. So if you want to set up your child for success before, you're going to want to look at the space that they're going to be playing in. You want to make sure it's safe. Um, and that they have things that are materials that are appropriate for their developmental stage and their current interests. 
then you want to also look at, are those things within reach? Because we want them to be safe. We don't want them to reach to the top of the dresser to take down a dollhouse. And we also don't want them to have to come to us and say, I want that dollhouse, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to be intentional in the way we're setting up the space. Again, with their current interests in mind, their development in mind, their temperament in mind, and then also, um, you know, making things accessible. When this play is new, I often recommend to people to put out a puzzle that's actually easy for them. Uh-huh. Put out materials that you know they already love and can master because we want them to feel a sense of success over being able to do stuff. And then for us as parents, I think, you know, of course your kid's going to keep coming and to connect with you. So before, when they are playing independently, call it that, say that to them, even if they're very little, you know, it sounds silly to say to your child, oh, you're playing independently and expect them to know what that means. But they will assimilate that language over time. So you can say to them, like, you were working on that puzzle. You didn't need any grown-ups to help you. Mm-hmm. you. You saw, you you know, one piece was hard and I saw you and you it fell on the floor, but you looked frustrated and you picked it up and you did it. And you did that by yourself. You know, things like that. And just start to introduce that language um, to them. So that then you can also use that later on for them when it's hard. Of reminding them of times when it's been hard and they've been able to do it. Yeah. Like keeping those things in mind as your parent. But anyway, your kid is going to keep coming back to you and saying, mommy, look what I did. Of course, that's what they want. You know, they want to connect with us. And so I would just keep saying, if this is a time where you want them to play independently, then I would say, I see what you did. and I can't wait to hear about it, you know, when quiet time is over. Mm-hmm. And if it's, you know, a little person, I would have them, you know, don't clean up that puzzle. I really want to see it when quiet time's over. I'm going to do my work now. You go do yours. To keep reassuring for them that they can do this and to keep sending them back. And when you can remember, they're not doing anything wrong when they keep coming and seeking your approval. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong in the setup. You just need to be prepared prepared ahead of time. You know that's going to happen. So hmm, what are you going to say when my kid keeps coming? What am I going to say? So like set that up in advance. You know, if you keep coming to show me your puzzle, I'm going to keep saying, oh, remember, it's quiet time. I'm doing my work. You do yours. I'll look at it after. And of course, it takes time and practice. But when you expect for that to happen, you won't get as frustrated and either will they. And also finding ways to connect around their play after the fact. So a lot of times, like I'll say either, you know, don't clean that up. I want to hear more about that. And then we can clean it up together later. You know, that's like, oh. Mommy just said, don't clean that up. Like that, that feels exciting. You know, I, I must've done something really important and they want to, you know, and you can connect on that later for bigger kids, like a four, four or five year old who's beginning to write. I'll often give them like a blank piece of paper and say like, make some marks to remind you of the ideas that you wanted to tell me during quiet time. Oh, that's and a great idea. We can talk about this again later. But you still want them to know that you really value their process and their thinking and you want them to come to you in life but maybe not during quiet time so you want to like give them ways to say like your work is important i value your thoughts um but net, right this moment is not the time for that and so you might be parallel playing in the sense that you're still in the room or doing work well, it depends i mean if we're talking about independent play or quiet time so mm-hmm. i teach people how to have quiet time in which case you would not be in the same room with it's them. like instead of their nap or Instead is it their nap, okay. right? When they transition from they don't Naps, nap any longer, right. mm-hmm. and then that transitions naturally into moments of independent play throughout the day because they've already learned that process and those steps, and so have you. 
So, I mean, that just turns things from those magical unicorn moments where you're like, it's quiet, everyone's <laughs> playing. Quick, let me go like text someone back <laughs> to like every day after lunch, know. this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you just build this habit from the beginning. And now you have yep. these four and five-year-olds. That's what they're doing. And when you set up the environment, it is hard to do on a podcast. It's hard to describe this on a podcast, but you can go onto your Instagram and it's like a magical world of environments that you can set up. But I really want people to know though, I mean, is that it doesn't have to be complicated. Play doesn't have to be complicated. You don't need to play. Right. And everybody is not going to be able to do what you do. That's not... No, and, they, and nor should they because right. I set things up because that's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And oftentimes people will say to me like, can you just give me a list of things for my kids to do during quiet time? And I don't. And the reason is, number one, quiet time for me, for mom and for child is about easing the burnout. It's not about mom trying to come up with these Pinterest projects that their kid is going to do for five minutes and leave them with an even bigger mess. It is about getting to know who your child is with regards to what are they interested in? What are they struggling with? What makes them feel successful? What do they want to learn more about? And then setting up the environment in that way for them. Mm-hmm. But if you want to just like some quick wins, honestly, I would say take your child's favorite, you know, think about what your child is really passionate about right now. Maybe it's dinosaurs. Take three dinosaurs off the shelf, lay down a blanket, put the dinosaurs there with a handful of magnetiles and a metal tin, right? Uh-huh. Done. That takes five minutes. So your child might be really engaged with that and that's great. Or they might ignore it, which is also fine because it took you five minutes and you can easily clean it up and you're not going to feel resentful with them or with your time. I love that. So it's not about planning these beautiful Pinterest projects. It's not. It's really not. I think a lot of families, especially right now, are really like burning themselves out thinking that they need to create these like complicated projects. And Mm -hmm. it's just not the case. Like play is meant to be simple and child-led. And when we start to set up those fancy things, it becomes about us and not them. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's so true. They, they know how to play. They're actually yeah. very expert at it. <laughs> they are. And I think the only thing that gets in the way is like all the noise that we hear and the pressure we hear as parents. But when we can really strip that stuff down and take away the extra toys in the playroom, we take away the pressure to feel we need to set something up super fancy or this craft kit project, whatever, take all those things away and it comes down to it and tolerate those feelings of like, they're going to be confused and bored at first. If you can tolerate that and get to the next side, the other side, they're going to start playing. It's we're humans. And it's like what we do, we create, we make, we invent. Yeah. I, I often think about how the great creatives and thinkers that I know they probably had a lot of boredom and had to come up with yeah. something to do back. I sound like I'm like, ah, when I was a kid, but, but I do sometimes wonder if it's too curated and we haven't really given kids the opportunity to just figure out what to do when they are just, you know, even in car rides, like I remember we yeah. would drive to Ohio to visit my family and the car rides were like so boring. So my sister and I came up with bananas games to do. Yeah. They were so stupid, <laughs> but they were, but I never forgot them and they were really funny and we had no choice. And I wonder, you know, I think it's funny now we're trying to get back to that 
which is mm-hmm. actually easier. It's easier parenting, um, which I, I think is what your, your ultimate message. But is. I think what happens to people is that like we have been so brainwashed as a society that our kids can't do this, that the second they give us pushback, we're like, see, we knew it. They couldn't, they can't do it. My kid can't do this. Right. And I don't believe that's true. I believe that all children can do this. And it's more about the adult's ability to hang in there, support them, redirect them back to it, but to really believe that children can inherently play. There's tons of stuff getting in their way. Maybe they're not going to do it right away if they spent their whole life being entertained in shuttles from here, there, and everywhere, and they've never had a moment of silence. Well, of course, that's going to feel really uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they can do it. So when you're working with kids, like when you're thinking about creating an environment that cultivates this kind of interest and engagement, what are some of the things that you try out to get to know what would be interesting for them? So I always recommend to parents to really observe both the play space and, or not even the play space, but where you want your child to be when they're playing independently Mm -hmm. and to really observe your child. So by that, I mean, literally even setting a timer on your phone for three to four minutes where you're not going to do anything else except literally just watch your child, watch them wander, notice what toys they pick up in the playroom, notice like, are they, are they moving a lot or are they, you know, someone who wants to lay down and roll their cards, you know, think about that and just really recognize who your child actually is, not who you think you want your child to be, but who they truly are. Because when you can honor who they truly are, that's when you kind of open a door for them, right? To self-direct their own play. Because then you're going to say like, oh God, you know, I have this fancy toy kitchen that this website told me to buy and I have this, you know, whatever it is, right? Because that's what someone told you your child needed in order to play, but that's not who you're, what your child is telling you. So taking those few minutes to really observe who your child truly is, it can be like such an eye opener for setting up play. So first I would do that. Mm-hmm. And then again, like I said before, I would really observe the space that you want them to play in. So like, is there even space for them to play? If there's not, and you live in a small apartment, that's okay. During quiet time, you can shove the couch aside and lay out a big sheet and call it a quiet time space. <laughs> it is what, how you label it. It doesn't have to right. be like, you know, it doesn't have to be any fancy thing. I mean, it could even be, and like if you have two kids with one bedroom, put one in mom and dad's room and one in their own room, right? Mm-hmm. And, and call it quiet time. It's about like the parent being able, you know, people say, but my kids are going to say that's so unfair and they're going to fight about that. And like, of course they are. They are until they learn that like, you're the grown up in charge. Mm-hmm. You're setting the limits and boundaries around quiet time. They will fight back. They're supposed to. But when you expect that beforehand, like you don't feel like a failure. You're like, oh, right. Okay. They're going to fight back. Right. We knew this That's was going to happen. Supposed to do. Right. So you can keep moving on instead of saying like, oh, forget it. This is too hard. So here's what I want to say about that. We are so burned out, pandemic or not. Right. And so what are we doing all day when we're saying, okay, well, but, my, but I'm told as a parent, I'm supposed to get down on the floor and play with my kids. Okay. That's all well and great. But when you're doing that, what are you probably really doing? Like scrolling on your phone. You're probably really going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Wait, what? Uh-huh. You know, you're not really authentically engaging with them, right? Right. Which I get. You haven't had a break. You haven't had a break all day. All you've done is play the same darn Barbie game over and over and over. 
your head's going to explode, right? But when you can have a child who plays independently or you have set up quiet time every day to fill your own bucket as a parent and to do that scrolling or to call back that friend or to do that workout or however it is that you recharge yourself, you can connect more authentically. Like think about how much better you feel when you've been away from your kids for a little while, they come home from school and you're really like genuinely so psyched <laughs> to connect with them as yes. opposed to like by the end of Sunday when it's the weekend, you're like, oh my God, is it that done yet? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the difference. So like if people want to feel guilty, you should more feel guilty, you know, going through the motions or do you want to authentically connect with them? And if you're making that intentional, like it feels less, I have a feeling you get less guilt out of it when you're like, I've, I've carved out of this day independent time or yeah. quiet time or however, whichever one you're doing. And that's and the thing part is, of the day. Once you do it, once you yeah, do it. You never go back. And you reap the benefit. Well, for real, because it's really like, wow, you just got time back for yourself while your child just learned, you know, created those pathways in their brain for even more self-direction and questioning and learning and being flexible. And now you also want to hang out with your kids. Like those are just huge wins, you know? Yes. So that is a big call to action. Like just intentionally give your child the space to do their own thing and they'll get better and better at it and we'll get better at it quickly. That's our learning because we really can appreciate it. And then when you do have that time, so things are different now, we don't have the distance to miss right. our kids to then get them back and be really excited to hear from them. So we have to even more commit to this intentional independent play. Yeah. And it's so eye-opening. And I think even if people aren't ready to like take the leap into like really carving out daily independent play, I think if they just can have those intentional moments um, of thinking of like, I'm going to pay attention today to like, when my kid is playing, what are they interested in? And just making like little tiny tweaks around their home or, you know, their, whatever, in whatever they're doing or even in the way they're interacting with their child, those little tiny things help it become almost like a lifestyle change. And then those small changes lead to other small changes, which lead to bigger changes. And then before you know it, you know, you have kids who can play independently. I mean, there are very small things you need to do. You just, it's about your intention and your why. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a review. And I will talk to you next week. Have a good one.